Hey guys, um, welcome everyone. Some new faces I've not seen. Some I haven't seen in a while. I love like it. I love you. Uh, hey, we are starting a new series today called Cancel Culture, and today we'll be doing communion also, which is pretty cool. If you've never been here before, we practice open communion, so um, we just really encourage you to check your heart before you take communion. Make sure that uh, you're in alignment with Christ, and um, and then enjoy it with us. Cool. Cancel Culture. What the heck is cancel culture? This is still kind of new to me, and it's still weird. If you, Unless you've been sleeping under a rock, uh, the term cancel culture is something that's happening in uh, the modern world we live in. I, I had to figure out what is the exact definition. It's a mass withdrawal of support from public figures or celebrities who have done things that socially are unacceptable. This practice of canceling or mass shaming often occurs on social media platforms such as Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, but has been known to revoke or uh, cause people to lose their jobs or support. Um, Man, I hate this stupid, weird thing called cancel culture. I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. Mainly uh, because what often happens in society finds its way into the church. And, uh, and so I want to be real clear with, with this concept of cancel culture. Like, I think we, we, um, we want to be careful not to cancel people. We want to be people that, like, support one another. And so uh, I work really hard here to, um, to, to figure out how to make sure that you feel safe here. And the things that you struggle with or the things that you go through feel safe here. We have a lot of connect groups that are meeting throughout the city that this is their last week. In fact, but we want to make sure that those spaces are safe. When I think about Christ and who he is, Jesus, um, the, the woman with the, uh, that was caught in adultery, it's crazy how she could be safe with him. Now, today as we lean into this thought, I want to make sure that in our life, we're not canceling people, but we are canceling sin. Uh, and I, I want to make sure that you understand that, that there are things that we stand against, but we want to protect individuals and people. Christ had a way of doing this. We see it in, in Matthew eleven nineteen that he somehow was a friend of sinners. Yet Jesus, with 100% certainty, definitely did not love sin, enjoy sin, or encourage sin. Does this make sense? In fact, he, it, he gave his life to save us from sin. And, uh, and so as I'm, I'm leaning into this thought today, we want to cancel apathy here within our church. I was thinking about several things that I hate, and I hate that somehow it's easier and easier for us to stand in a worship service without being moved by tears, with honor, that our lives aren't like forever, like, God, wow, you are awesome. And I don't know how maybe it's our frame of religion that has somehow dumbed God down to a song service or a bad preacher or whatever, but like I want you to know that the creator of the universe is not boring. You were made for him. He loves you. And that's worthy of your attention. It's worthy of your affection. It's worthy of your devotion. It's worthy of your passion. And it drives me nuts 
to know that so many of us are going through life so busy that we have tapped out all of our emotions to things that matter, Christ most significantly. Let me give you the definition of what apathy is. It's a lack of interest, enthusiasm, or concern. Yep, I hate apathy. I hate that there are things that are happening in our lives that somehow we just, eh, I don't care about. I hate that we, as, as, as followers of Jesus, can have relationship with other humans where we don't care about what's going on in their life in a way that it affects us. That we don't care what's going on in our, in our marriages in a way that it affects us or what's going on with our kids. I want to be a person that has passion in my soul, fire blowing up in my bones. Like, like I want to be alive and I want to be passionate and I want to be extreme and I want to love great. And I want to build a community of people that are radical about the things that matter and that are significant. We are not apathetic. We are not dead. We are not bored. We are not without interest. We are not without concern. Things that are happening in society should concern us. Things that are happening in our families should concern us. Things that are happening within us should concern us. And it should concern us to a point where it moves us to change. We're not canceling people. We are canceling apathy. Today, I'm fighting to care. I don't know what happens in a relationship with two people that we just kind of turn off. Eh, I don't care. Turn off the ability to silence someone so much that we're not listening to what's going on in their life. I'm going to read you a cool verse that is uh, really moved me this the last couple of weeks as I've been reading this and rereading this and rereading this and rereading this. I'm going to read it to you in the NLT and in the NIV, uh, but we're going to find it here in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 14. Our love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, and share with the Lord's people all who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is the opposite of what's happening in culture. It's the opposite of what's happening in society. When people do something that we don't agree with, or even just that society doesn't agree with, not only do we cancel them, we shame them, we silence them, and we remove them from anyone else's life. You can't even have conversation with them. But that's the opposite of what Jesus did with the woman caught in adultery when he found a woman who was doing wrong and everyone was trying to permanently cancel her. He honored her. He protected her. He loved her. He did not shame her, but he did not affirm her actions. And so as I'm looking at this, man, what is in our life as I'm reading this passage, it really feels like this is the opposite of cancel culture, but it is canceling habits. It is canceling principles and symptoms. And the church needs to be a people that are passionate. And so I ask of you to worship with all of your hearts. Open your time to sit with him. Who are you sitting with? How worthy is he? Holy, 
Holy is he. I pray it doesn't bore you. It is the song of eternity. I don't know if you know that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord. This song is going to go on. It's, it will be one day, I don't know how old you are, but it will be like the Lamb Chop sing-along song that never, ever, ever ends. And it goes on and on, my friend. Some people... St- Never-ending songs. you got to love them. Cool. Don't just pretend to love others. The same translation would say in the NIV, don't just pretend to love others, but really love them. Whom in your life have you maybe canceled unintentionally that the scripture would call out to you? Don't just pretend to love that person. Really love them. I love when the word of God reads me back. Hate what is wrong. But hold tightly to what is good. My wife was talking this week and she said, how the heck do you do that? How do you, how do you really hate sin and love the sinner? How do you, it's such an old uh, cliche amongst the church, hate sin, love the sinner. Do it. You're doing it. You're doing it. You can love people and radically devote yourself to them the same way that Jesus Christ did on the cross and still not stand for what they stand for or what they've done. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. But I love this. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. Never be lazy, but work hard to serve the Lord enthusiastically. One of my first points that I want to build a culture together. Uh, I want to build a culture of togetherness. I want to build a culture of people that are sincere and devoted. Are you devoted to the Lord? And to one another, are you honoring one another? Whom do you honor in your life? Whom do you stop? And, and I hope they're not just people on TV or people that, that live distant a ways away. But like in your life, who do you stop and say, you know what, you, that is really great. This passage is saying that we should uh, uh, have a culture of hope, patient prayer, generosity, Blessing those who do us wrong. I want to have a culture where when people offend me, I don't cut them out of my life, but I continue to pursue them. This is the church, guys. Help me. I think that the subject cancel culture is alarming some of you so much that we're like, I don't know what to do. Listen. We want to cancel apathy and we want to care. We want to care. We want to care. We want to care. And so I'm asking you to highlight who are the people in your life that we unintentionally are numbing ourselves to. My first point today, are you passionate about Jesus? Cling to what is good, the scripture says here. Cling to what is good, never lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. What does it look like? Your passion for Jesus. You are passionate about a lot of things. What are you passionate about? And how do you promote your passion for Christ to be the greatest love in your life? How do we love Jesus more than food or boats or stuff or shoes? Some people have 300 shoes in their collection. Women, just throwing it out there. I I, I know a few dudes actually that are the same way. I don't know what you're passionate about. But how do you elevate your passion for Jesus more? 
The scripture is encouraging us to enthusiastically serve the Lord. So I would ask you that. What in your life, what would it look like? How does your love, your enthusiastic love for Jesus manifest? What does it show? Is it in the way that you're super humble at work or with people? Your kindness and your generosity. I hope that it's just not in your church attendance. Which everyone who's watching at home, we encourage you to attend here so we can hug you, squeeze you, kiss you, and show you our enthusiastic love for one another. Uh, But listen, um, what does it look like for you to be passionate about Jesus? I don't know if there's anything that God has called us to do more than this. If you know of it, you should encourage me to, to learn of it. The greatest commandment in all of the Bible is to love the Father with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so I pray that we could see the way we manifest this passion in our life to others. Does everyone in your life know what you're most passionate about? I love when you have to take these surveys for the places, the companies that you work for, and you send them to me. I wonder if your coworkers know what you're passionate about. Uh, some, yeah, I'm going to let that go. My wife says, stick to the notes, Tim. You're better that way. Praise the Lord. My second thing here is that I read in Romans 12 is he would say, cling to what is good. We know that good is Christ. My second point today is, do you hate sin? Abhor what is evil. Get evil out of your life. Do you hate what's evil? I hate a lot of things that's evil. I hate the way that we can judge one another or be legalistic. I, I, I hate what's happening in society with some of the uh, gender confusion that's going on. I, 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 I hate what's, uh, what our society is, that we've just become godless and godless and godless and godless, and there's no God-fearing anything. People don't know what is right anymore. We're all just defining it to ourselves. Do you hate sin? Because apathy is a lack of concern. So when you see sin, does it concern you? Why do you ask? Because I know that the way that we handle sin as a people or even as a church can largely not be the way that the Lord handled sin in Scripture. Let me take you back to the garden. He created space for all of us. To walk with our creator. To be with him without shame, without fear, without confusion, without busyness. Like just walking with God. And sin created eternal separation from us with him. Wrecked everything. Death. Darkness. Depression. Shame. All kinds of confusion, blame for one another. I mean, Adam, the first person he canceled was Eve. It was her fault. She did it, you know. That was a joke. I'm sorry. Um, I, uh, I think of other things that happened in Scripture. I mean, just, just the flood. We know that God hates sin. But, beloved, if, as we're growing closer to Jesus... 
I pray that you're growing you're growing in the word of God. You're growing in prayer. I pray that our heart is turning for things that are significant and eternally significant. As things are getting darker, I pray that we're getting more and more concerned. Do you hate sin? Because I know the Father does so much that he was willing to give his son to remedy this problem for all of us. And the Father turned his back when, 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 when my sin was put upon Jesus. And Jesus, for the first time, was separate from the Father. Oh, man, I know that feeling. When I'm dumb, and I can feel God just, ah, oh, Tim, no. When Jesus said that for the first time, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Because of sin. I want to hate 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 sin. And, and while I encourage all of us to make sure that we vote on Tuesday, I want to make sure that we also know that the only way we hate sin is not by voting, but it's like with our lifestyle. Like that is not good. Not the person. We want to reach that person. We want to love that person. We want to hug that person. We want to have a relationship with that person. But that stuff is wrong and it's hurting you and it's separating you from God and it's separating. He, you were designed to walk with God. You were designed to have a relationship with him like Noah, like Adam. Like we were, we, mm. I am um, one of the coolest days of my life. I, I think I've shared this a few times here. I'm not sure, but one time we were on this fast. We were in uh, Ohio and we were at like this campground. It was me and a few friends and we were having like a, a week long time of prayer. And um, we woke up we, before we went to sleep one night, we, we all devoted ourselves that the next 24 hours, we would try to be in absolute silence, not communicating with anybody else at all, verbally. That we would only spend the next 24 hours in prayer talking to God, not looking at emails, text message, cell phones, so everyone turned their cell phones off. And we were kind of out in the woods alone with each other, but we just decided we were going to ignore each other completely for 24 hours in pursuit of God. And something special happened to me that day that I, I remember to this day. And it marks one of the days that I, I don't know if I've ever heard God's voice audibly. But if there was a day, I remember it would be close like this. I woke up and I got my coffee and um, we, there were like trails outside along this lake. And um, I remember I got like my walking stick. I, I don't know why I really like walking sticks. I think they're like the coolest thing ever. It reminds me of like Moses or something. I don't know, but like I feel stronger and cooler and more outdoorsy. And um, so I got my walking stick and I started walking and like we, I hit out the front door and there was like this trail that like I was going to start on. And as soon as I got to like the beginning part of the trail where it like narrowed down, I felt like I heard the Lord behind me say, move over. And um, it was the coolest, neatest feeling in my life to know that, like, I finally could distance myself from things that don't matter as much so that I can be with him. And it was like a day of actually just being with God. 
and that day I don't know if it was just my imagination or what, but I laughed and I made piles of leaves and I climbed trees and jumped out of them. And I just, I was like a little six year old boy again. And I just felt like I was having fun with the Lord. I only say that to say, I believe that God designed us to have relationship with him and walk with him. And I wonder if your love for God has ever made way that you manifest it and you walk with God around a lake or down the street, around the block, where you just push off away from people and you get alone with the Lord. And it's in those moments where you just make space for him that God can share his heart with you. He can bring a whole lot of clarity to the busyness of your schedule and reveal to you some of the things that may be out of order in your life that he doesn't like. And it allows him to move in and take up more room and space in your life. First point today is to love the Lord enthusiastically. And the second is to hate sin. But the third is, is, um, is yes, I'm, I'm glad if you do hate sin. I think all of us probably do. Sinners uh, and, 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 and God's elect. We probably all hate sin, uh, but probably what matters most to me as a pastor is that you have learned, hear me, to hate your sin. It gets easy to look at what others are doing wrong, to be frustrated with the people of this world, like, man, you know, they just, they're so dark, they're so dark, they're so dark. But do you know what God hates that you won't stop doing? that you won't let go of. One of the things that scares me the most, church, is when I am not hearing his voice in my life because I'm tolerating things that he does not like. In any relationship that matters and that is significant, we have to, if, if, if my relationship with my wife is going to grow, I have to learn to understand the rhythms of the things that she hates that I do. Uh, one of the things, I, I, I was, one of my kids, uh, when we eat dinner, uh, they chew really, 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 really loud. And I, I hate it. I, hate, I, I, I don't want to be there. Uh, and so it, this is something that is a pet peeve to me. But hear me, these aren't pet peeves that the Father has with you. When he's invited us to sit at his table of the Lord, yet there are things and habits and, and mindsets and theologies that we have created that aren't pet peeves to the Lord, but it will separate us from the table of the Lord. Do you hate your sin? Romans 12 talks about how we should love what is good and hate what is evil. And it talks about how we should love people and honor them and honor them and honor them. But I think that we have become apathetic to the things in us where it doesn't bother me so much that God is bothered. And this is a bad place to be in. When the clay looks at the potter and says, I don't care. Let me read you Romans or Hebrews 
chapter 12. I was reading in Romans chapter 12, but let me just read several verses to you that I just think is absolutely beautiful. Romans, Hebrews chapter 12 says this. It says, therefore, we are, since we are surrounded by such a, a huge cloud of witnesses uh, to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And I'm praying that, that we stay focused and passionate about the things that God's called us to. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And because of him awaiting, uh, because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. I love this, I love this, I love this. Because of the joy awaiting him, I don't know what you think the joy was awaiting him, but I believe that the joy awaiting him was me. When that's, we were singing that song about how he put our name on his hands, I just get thinking like again and again, he did this all for me. For the joy set before him, I was set before him. He endured the cross. Now he is seated in the place of honor besides God's throne. Think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people. And then you won't become weary and give up. Hear me on this. After all, you have not yet given your lives in, in your struggle against sin. NIV would say you have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding of blood. What that means to me is that there are many of us that don't care what we're doing. Like, if you realize what you're doing, you would do whatever it takes. Like Jesus said, like, if, if, if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Like, do whatever it takes to get sin out of your life. But so many of us, we don't, we don't want other people to look down on us. Listen. We're all jacked up. Your pastor probably can write the book on it. Like, but I want you to know, we want to create a culture where we care more about our love for him and his love for us than I care your opinion of me. And we want to protect each other when we fall or when we stumble. But it's not okay to live in sin. It's not okay to keep doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. Because the thing that I'm doing is what's driving nails into his hands. He died on a cross and it caused pain in his life. He cares about where you are, beloved. Ah, calm down, Tim. You've not yet given your lives... And your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline. Don't give up when he corrects you. For the, Lord's, for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. Let me just stop and talk about parenting. Good parenting is going to correct your kids. Yesterday, I was almost punched Micah right in the nose. Uh, we had a great conversation yesterday, and I want like like the moments that we're parenting the most is where when we're intentional and our kids know how much they mean to us, and we're setting a course for their life. But we want to discipline them so that they don't just go wherever they want. They don't want to just make decisions as they want. We want to protect the vision for their life. Amen. This is the same that the Father has for you. 
The reason why this passage is significant to me reading this to you is because when I ask you, do you hate your sin? What the father's trying to say here is that a good father disciplines his kids. You know when the Lord disciplines you? His name is the Holy Spirit. And he's in your life convicting you. It's when your stomach turns when you said that they were, and they shouldn't have, and you went overboard. And you knew it when you said it, but you didn't care. The reason why your stomach turned is because you're damaging other people. You're hurting something that you care about. And the Lord is trying to say, stop. But when you blow past it, what happens, friends, is you build a tolerance. The scripture says that our conscience has been seared with a hot iron. It means you get number and number and number to things that you once knew was wrong. I know culturally smoking pot is okay. I remember when I was a kid, I was nine years old, and I knew it was wrong. Something happened when I was 12. I got introduced to it, and I, I realized, you know what? It's not so bad. It wasn't so bad when it was 13 because I, I can control and I can fix and I can take care of and, I, and sin. It wasn't so bad anymore. So I can do it and I can do it and I can do it because I've got control. And what happens is it creates a culture in me that is perfectly okay with wrong. There was a time when, I, when my heart was pure, I knew everything that was pure. But to those whose conscience is defiled, nothing is pure, the Bible says. And so what happens is we know what's wrong, but then we get okay with it and we think it's fine. Well, you can eat from that apple. You can eat from that tree. Did God really say that you can't? And one day I woke up and realized that I had wrecked my entire life. I was so far off track that I was killing myself. Beloved, when God says something is wrong, compare it to a child. Do you want a child to do that? Because that's pure. We're not anymore. Jesus, do you want Jesus to do this? No. That's pure. We get so far off track. If, if, if you don't want a kid to say it or do it or go there or see that, then you hear me? Does your sin bother you? We could talk forever about how dark they are. But I care that the light goes on in here in such a way that this bothers me. Because when I'm fixing me, the world's going to start realizing the light that's inside of me. I care that the Holy Spirit has residence inside of me. I have to keep reading this because it's really beautiful. He says, uh, Deb, would you come? He says, as you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, then it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. I have to reread that because some of y'all didn't hear it. If God doesn't discipline you as he does all of his children, then it means that you are illegitimate and are not really his children at all. What that means is if you don't have conviction in your life, if you don't hear wrong, stop. Don't do that. Don't go there. Start doing this. And the Holy Spirit's not active inside of you. Mm -hmm. Nope. 
This is not my opinion. I'm telling you as your pastor that you need to understand that the Holy Spirit inside of you is going to tell you no or start or go or shut up or give or be humble or honor. And if he's not telling you things that you don't already want to hear, like he should make you feel uncomfortable. This is what love does. It puts others first. And if not, then what's happening is we're silencing the Holy Spirit in our life. And he is the way to life. Jesus said, it was better for all of you that I go away so that he can come. In other words, it's better that the Holy Spirit lives with you than Jesus walking alongside of you telling you that you're an idiot. I just use the word idiot a lot because that's the terminology. That's the, this is the conversation my father has with me. He means it in the kindest way um, sometimes. All right, I'm going to skip a whole lot of verses and end with this. Uh, so I, I want you to know, I think we love conviction. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 8 through 10 says this. This is, this is God's word, and this is really important that we understand this. Hear me on this. If we claim that we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, then he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. But if we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. I'm I'm saying this because I don't want apathy to have place in our church. I don't want apathy to have place in our lives or in our family. And so what that means is everyone else isn't wrong. We live in cancel, a world called cancel culture where everyone has done wrong. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Amen? Nope. Amen? Amen. And rather than being a culture that is really good at telling everyone else what they've done, what we recognize is that we've done wrong. We know what is wrong, and we know what we've done is wrong. And we're asking God to change us. And we're asking God to change us. And we're asking God to move in our lives. And we're asking that he would give us more of his Holy Spirit. And we're asking for breakthrough in our lives. And we're asking for his blessing in our church, and on our finances, and on our, 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 our meals. And our, we want God to pour his spirit out in our life. But as we look at scripture, he does not like sin. And we become okay with it. And it's not okay. It's not okay. It wasn't okay in the garden. It wasn't okay in the flood. And it wasn't okay on the cross. And it's not okay today. And I don't care how much society says that this little, it was just a lie. It was just this. It was, I just looked. I just said. It's wrong. And if you don't feel wrong, start feeling wrong. It's good. Watch this, because this is what Hebrews is going to say. I'm going to go back to Hebrews for a second. God's discipline is always good for us. It's always good. God's discipline is always good for us. Hey, if you're here and you're under the age of 18 and your parents are still disciplining you, discipline is always good for us. When the father tells me I have to start on a diet or exercising, discipline is always good for me. I don't like it, but it's good for me. When your when you're, when you're, uh, uh, leaders or your, your, your boss or your manager starts disciplining you, it's good. They're getting you back on the track that you need to be on. The Bible says that discipline never feels good in the moment. But watch this. 
No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest. Man, does that sound wonderful. Peace. Like tranquility. Like goodness. Like mercy. Like righteousness. I want that. And so I want conviction. Father, I want to love you. And I want to be convicted. I want to love you. And I want to be convicted. And I want to love others. And I want to love others. And I want to love you. And I want to love others. And I want to love you. And I want you to show me how to live for you. And I want to show me how to make space for you. I want to live for you. Lord Jesus. Jesus.